Hello and welcome to the Impact at Home podcast from us at Impact Wales. We're Fanola and Jane and every week we'll be bringing you the very best professional learning to help you make an impact in your school. Our guest today on our second In Conversation with podcast episode is Gareth Evans, Director of Education Policy at University of Wales Trinity St David and former educational journalist and author. Gareth, welcome and thank you ever so much for joining us this morning, even though um, it is virtually, because I know we're not in the same room today, um, we're quite a few miles apart, so thank you for joining us as well today. Thanks for um, having me. We'd, we'd like to chat today around some key topics about education, uh, particularly here in Wales. Um, obviously, we've got listeners from further afield as well. Um, and we'd like to follow on with some of the key questions that we raised in our podcast last week with Kirsty Williams. I think it was it was quite an interesting podcast. Mm. So there were some things we wanted to delve a little bit further into. Um, but to start off, really, we, we, Finn and I, we've all experienced lockdown very, very differently. Um, and I think we found that working from home has been a huge challenge. And I know Finn and I went through a period where we didn't see each other for, must have been four months, I yeah. think. And it's, it's or, or anybody really. Yeah, anybody, yeah. <laughs> so it's, that home life balance has been really, really difficult. What we'd like to just to start off with is what, what's been the challenge of lockdown for you? And have there been any positives? Uh, I suppose the positive has been that I've, I've had some time locked away in my little spare room that I'm talking to you from now to get on with some writing but but no I mean it's it's been a challenge hasn't it for everybody um I'm not going to sit here and suggest that my life has been any worse than those in schools because schools have had it really tough mm. and I think of, that, that's yeah. the thing isn't it that we, we talk to teachers and we were quite surprised when we had our advisory board one day um how much time they had been spending with others because obviously we hadn't spent much time I would have thought it's it's the same for you that you're doing most things remotely is that right yeah, that's right. Zoom calls, team calls, you name it. We've, we've got to grips with technology, haven't we, over the last few months? Oh, no. but, uh, yeah. I, th I think also, as, as you say, I think missing that human contact, that's been the biggest miss, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that teachers have had the, the human contact, but they've had the additional pressure as well of, you know, trying to stay safe themselves, that keeping their classes safe and dealing with all kinds of things as well. And we're, I, I think we're all working so incredibly differently. Um, mm. Apart from um, the Zoom, you know, having to do things digitally, has, have things changed much for you, the way you do things? I think in terms of our support to schools, I mean, we work uh, at the university with a, a great deal uh, of, of teachers across Wales in terms of teacher education. It's one of our, mm. our core functions at the university. Uh, so it's been, it's been trying to, to grapple with supporting our schools and supporting our teacher education partnership in slightly new and innovative ways. Right. And we've, we've had to adapt to models of blended learning as, as teachers in schools have. And, and look, let, let's, not, um, let's not pretend that we were all experts in blended learning. I certainly wasn't. No, no. In fact, I didn't really know an awful lot about it. So I think, I think we've all had to get to grips with new forms of technology and new ways of working. And that's and, you know, we're, we're still very much feeling our way through that now, aren't we? Yeah, I think there was, I know that we experienced it sort of around about May, June, when, when work was really, really busy, but we were in the midst of learning new things. We were both absolutely exhausted all of the time because it was kind of like overload. Every day was, you know, learning three new skills every day and then processing everything and ready for the next day. That was, that was really tough. Just, just going back to something you, you mentioned a little bit earlier is about you know the, the experiences that your ITE students are going to have when they go back, well hopefully when they, when they go to placements in the, in the, over the next few terms. What, what, how different do you think that's going to be for them? Mm. The, 
it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, notwithstanding the very different working environments in which they're going to walk into. Uh, I mean, I had a conversation with a, a school partner just last week who was um, kind of uh, getting us prepared for the fact that they won't be, uh, student teachers won't be doing what they might have done ordinarily in that they'll be teaching in very different ways. They'll be teaching at the front of the, uh, the classroom in a very didactic way with, with uh, pupils in rows. Right. There won't be innovative practice. And actually, we were forewarned as, as university lecturers that look, uh, schools will not be uh, the models of best practice they perhaps were. And I think that's a really important message for yeah. us all to take away that this is not business as usual. And our students can't expect the experience they might have got. And that's through no fault, of course, of teachers and schools themselves, but it's the reality in which they're now working. Yeah, that was really interesting. Actually, we, um, in the first week of term, we were in two schools and we were talking about exactly that. It's the, you know, how do you manage questioning when you can't get in amongst the pupils? I mean, as former teachers ourselves, uh, you know, behaviour management, that is where you are in the classroom is a massive, um, you know, benefit to behaviour management. But just the, the job that language is going to have to do is going to have to really... I hate the phrase do some heavy lifting, but it's going to have to really work hard to um, fill in the, you know, the, the, the things that are not happening, like being in amongst the pupils or maybe if they're social isolating, you know, the nonverbal communication that you you would get if you were actually sitting next to someone. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and look, in, in the short term, we're not quite sure when placements uh, will be taking place and how they'll be taking place. But what I can categorically assure you and listeners is that our partner schools across Wales are very, very committed to uh, sustaining that supply chain of the next generation of teachers and are very committed to ensuring that, that, that students do go in and are supported in their learning journeys because it's really important now, isn't it, that we, we furnish the profession with new blood um, as, as people uh, move on and retire. So it's, it's important that we continue that during these very challenging circumstances. Yeah, well, it's important yeah. that so many jobs and uh, work happens and continues during um, this, this difficult period. This is one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about, that, you know, the fact that we're all working very differently, but that it almost seems like there's two strands to everybody's work. So there's the, you know, the pre-COVID, what you would have been doing on a, a normal day-to-day -day basis, but then there's also the managing COVID itself, itself. Mm -hmm. and it's not just about working in a different way, it, it's an additional bur burden, so you've got normal work and the COVID response and you know is do you think there's a real understanding in education policy that we are all working both on COVID and on our no normal work and that, that this is causing enormous stress? Yeah no, I, think, I think that's a very valid point Finn. and from my experience over the past uh, couple of months with schools but, I mean, experience will dictate that schools are very much focused on the operational side at the moment and wiping down tables, you know, clearing uh, school halls, ensuring there's a standard time, making sure that pupils can go into school safely. That's very, very much the key priority for schools at the moment. And my worry is, I think a little bit like yourself, that they're having to grapple with this outside national noise, which is still, shall we, shall we continue developing the curriculum? Shall we, shall we still look at assessment and, and, and other uh, uh, accountability arrangements. There, there is lots of other things going on in the background and I know that the Minister has taken steps to pause statutory requirements regarding curriculum arra arrangements currently but longer term we don't really know what's going to happen. What is the expectation on schools to 
co-construct and develop and design their own curricula. Uh, we're not quite clear on that at the moment. And I think that's a real issue at, uh, for, for all schools in Wales. Um, the balancing the here and now, the challenges of COVID with the you know, unique, innovative, creative future that we've, we've set ourselves in Wales. So there is a balance there, I think, and we, and we need a slightly clearer direction. Okay, and, and schools having to change what they're doing on a daily, daily, day-to-day -day basis not knowing you know whether they've got this year group isolating we've got a positive case here so it's all change and it's how we can support schools to actually manage that change as smoothly and as you know, effectively as possible and i know because um one of the things that um obviously we support schools with professional learning and we feel that there is um that certain schools and i'm not not saying this widely there are schools actually who are in a better position now almost because they've got um like you say time to actually think about things but there are some schools where it, anything other than the operational almost seems to have ground to a halt you know professional learning they just don't have the headspace to be thinking about what they want to do with it mm. let alone actually doing it and i think it, it's the, the education policy um sort of scene is do you think that's actually reflected in the policy area and it, i don't know yeah, I mean, I, I speak I speak a lot to the regions, I speak a lot to colleagues in government, and there is a reluctance, uh, I'll be honest, a reluctance at the moment to sort of force anything on schools, given the, the, the current predicament in which we all, we are, we're all living through. There, there is an understanding that these are very challenging times and schools have a lot to deal with. Conversely, there is still this sort of nagging expectation that we will hit curriculum uh, deadlines and timelines, and we will start thinking about moving forward into the new world. And, and, and look, it's a, it's a very difficult uh, conundrum to resolve because we can't wait forever for the new curriculum. And there's a very sound argument that suggests if we go back into schools now, we should maybe go back into the new curricular world rather than revert back to the old national curriculum as, as we've known it. So, so it, it is a difficult situation and one I know government is grappling with, but what it kind of means is we're kind of on hold in, a, in, in, in some respects. We don't really know whether we're, we're, we're supposed to be taking that leap of faith into the new world or not. And it, it, it's a difficult situation. It is a difficult situation. And I think that it probably that's reflected in the fact that this shared expectations document, which is supposed to set out when and what teachers are supposed to be doing towards the new curriculum, which was promised, I think, around about Easter time, wasn't it? Soon after mm -hmm. Easter, that that hasn't materialized. So I think you're right in that. We're, we're kind of almost on hold. But one of the things that we talked about with the minister who um, she, she seemed to see that the, and we would agree that Curriculum for Wales is a fantastic tool right now, given that the national curriculum has been suspended and that there are different expectations in terms of curriculum. It is, Curriculum for Wales is a great tool to shape the design of what the provision is like right now but that's not the same as co-construction is it yeah and, and that's a challenge isn't it and, and and if we switch that to a slightly different context one of the big issues with the uh, grading fiasco of the summer was the fact that schools couldn't get together and moderate as they perhaps would normally so those opportunities for co-construction for collaboration and we all know that that we learn best with uh, with company in the company of others where we can talk through things and brainstorm and, and and counter each other's arguments and what have you we can't feasibly do that now okay we've got blended learning we've got 
uh, various technologies we can use. But I think there's an assumption that it's not quite the same. And when you get to a school level, we're talking there, aren't we, about a national, regional approach. When we get to a school level, it's going to be very difficult now for groups of teachers to come away from the hustle and bustle of the classroom to, to engage in these types of, um, you know, forward thinking, theoretical uh, conversations. It's going to be very difficult to find the time and space to do that. Uh, so I think I think that I think you've identified a very significant issue there, certainly in the short to medium term. Yeah, and I, I think, as we know, collaboration is possible at the moment, but it just takes mm -hmm. so much longer. And yeah. you know, we we haven't got time for anything to take longer than it should. So I think yeah, there there is a a difficulty. I think I think collaboration as well. It's it's one of those things that you know, can you do it effectively remotely? Mm. I have to I have to mention this. This Go is this is something that uh, I was listening to um, Esten giving evidence in the Senate uh, Children and Young People Education Committee last week, and um, they were asked Esten were asked this particular question. You know, what about collaboration? What about um, the ability of teachers to actually collaborate and co-construct? Uh, and Claire Morgan um, was quite clear that she felt that collaboration could happen in the classroom with children, that the teachers didn't have to be taken away from the children in order to collaborate. I know Jane and I sort of sort of sat back and go, oh my goodness, really? Because you know, if you if you take that analogy and you look at say, you know, surgeons saying developing a new surgical approach to a particular illness, you wouldn't want your surgeon thinking about researching and making a decision on that surgery whilst they're actually in the in the theatre you know everybody needs time to space to reflect to think about to bounce ideas mm. from off people and I think you know we understand how difficult it must be for policymakers to actually keep that momentum going but I think there does need to be a conversation about what's reasonable and practical and and how much pressure teachers are actually yeah, under. I think I think you've only got to look at Twitter and look at Facebook and read the comments that are coming from teachers from day to day and how difficult it is and that workload has actually gone right through the roof it was difficult before yeah but now it is even worse and I think no nobody understands what it's like unless you're actually in the classroom yeah. and with, with that in mind asking you um, um a quite a straightforward question oh it yeah. we'll, go, we'll go straight for it we've we, we, we sort of alluded to to curriculum the, the new curriculum. Do you think the current timeline is achievable? Um, you asked me a straight answer. No, I don't think it is. Um, I mean, if we if we work backwards, uh, and you make reference there to the the expectation document that was due to come out earlier in the year that, that was going to be signed off, as I understand it, by a, a number of stakeholders, uh, including Esting, including the regional consortium, including government. If we assume that that timeline was was correct as of publication, and I think publication was due to be, as you rightly say, earlier this year, we've lost nine months before we start. Yeah. Then if we factor in, as we discussed already this morning, the fact that schools are dealing almost uh, solely at the moment with operational um, activity, uh, and, and not, I don't think, there, there, might be, uh, there might be some schools that are having time to engage in curriculum development, but I don't think uh, given those I've spoken to, I don't think that many are. Um, I think um, we may be looking at uh, next year, beginning of next year, possibly even the spring before we start thinking on mass again about curriculum reform. 
Um, if we work on that basis, we've lost a year, potentially longer. And it, would it be fair and reasonable, therefore, to, to, to engage in the same sorts of timelines? I don't think so. So I'm, I'm just thinking sort of practically on the basis of the time lost and the time we're going to have to try and get back uh, for those learners who haven't been engaged in learning for, you know, for six months. Uh, and let's not underplay the, uh, the risk, the damage, uh, the impact of COVID on our learners and the fact that many, many children won't have engaged at all over the summer, over the lockdown period, uh, for reasons well out of their control. And I think the focus has to be that, has to be making up for the last time, uh, trying to re-engage learners in, in their learning and trying to uh, ensure that everybody uh, gets back up to a a sort of baseline level because at the moment we know full well that is not the case and it's a very very significant job in hand for all teachers to first identify uh, those gaps identify a sort of bespoke learning package for for individual learners rather than groups of learners because learners will have been affected in very different ways uh, and then how to counter that how to impact uh, uh, that so I, so no I, I, I think I think the curriculum timeline as it stands is potentially a bridge too far. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also recognised as well that secondaries in particular have got the added issue of you know, year, year 10 and above, what's happening with external examinations and making sure that their learners are not at a disadvantage. I know we've got lots of secondaries at the moment who are experiencing uh, you know, isolations, particularly in year 10, 11, 12. Mm. But you see that those seem to be the year groups that are being effective and how how fair it's going to be and how how we can move forward, particularly with exams in November in the summer yes. and the January season, how can we ensure that schools are focusing on that? Yes, and I think I think you know, I think the the, the COVID pandemic has really asked some serious questions yeah. of assessment of qualifications and how best progress over time, you know, and, and there's some fundamental questions questions we need to ask of us now I think in terms of GCSEs in terms of A levels um, you know that, that they are at the moment very uh, very specifically geared towards uh, age rather than stage they look at uh, very specific outcomes on a national basis rather than focusing on the learner and if if we, uh, again I make reference to the unfortunate grading fiasco of the summer if that has taught us anything it's that our system or our systems across the UK have been far too wedded to year-on-year -year comparisons mm. and system-level performance than the needs of individual learners. And I think we've got to really shift that mindset, that thinking back to uh, each learner and how each learner develops and each learner progresses. Each learner has skill, has quality, uh, has, uh, has um, capabilities that we'd want and employers would want. But are we fully recognising them? Are we fully assessing them? And are we giving each learner uh, the best chance in life? And I don't think we are. And that was one of the topics that we talked to the Minister about in quite a lot of detail. What assessment should look like in Wales and how it should work. And, um, you know, if, if the um, ideal um, scenario um, what would that actually look like in practice in schools and, and how it would work with curriculum for Wales? One of the, the um, kind of questions that came up, and it was quite an existential question, is can you actually link assessment with accountability in any way? 
and you know what what should that look like what are your thoughts on assessment and accountability gareth yeah i mean it's, it's a very tricky one isn't it and i and i you know i i, I reflect i listened to your podcast last week and I, and I reflected on this myself and i think i think we're kind of in this sort of hybrid halfway house between um, a sort of progressive purpose-led curriculum that, that gives autonomy back to teachers and builds agency in the profession um, yet we remain very wedded to uh, very um, uh, linear qualifications a levels gcse's uh, categorization um, key stage four data uh, all manner of different benchmarks that don't align very neatly with the curriculum that we're seeking to develop so i think what what we're asking of the profession is actually almost an impossible task we, we, we're asking teachers to jump uh, wholeheartedly or jump into the car and drive forward to this new uh, curriculum for wales world yet in some respects the handbrake is still very firmly on because because of the sort of cloud behind uh, GCSE behind A-levels. I was disappointed, you know, shifting um, or broadening the conversation somewhat. I was disappointed uh, kind of this time last year when Qualifications Wales ran their, their consultation on the future of post-16 qualifications and very clearly stated that GCSEs should remain. And I, I felt at the time, and I still feel now, that that was a missed opportunity to really rethink that sort of tail wagging the dog uh, idea and GCSEs dictating everything that goes on, you know, arguably from sort of key stage three onwards, and, and we and we passed that up, and I and I, I, I felt that was a, a a shame then, and I do now, and it would be, I think, I would, I think it would be a, a good thing to rethink qualifications at sixteen. Do we need first and foremost qualifications at sixteen? And if we do, what do they look like, and do they meet the needs of all learners? And mm -hmm. um, so I, I see us as being, it's kind of in this hybrid, this halfway house at the moment between the progressive, and I suppose what you could call the more traditional or, or regressive approach based on accountability. Yeah, and I think the thing with accountability is because we're, we're in a situation where we've got, um, rather than taking accountability away, we're actually making it bigger in that we're going to look at lots of different uh, air, new areas for accountability. You're, you're kind of almost in a situation where you're starting to think about things like the observer effect, that mm. you know, just simply by measuring something, you change the thing itself. So you know, like you were, your analogy of you know, jumping in the car mm. and heading off and the handbrake still very much being on. If you are in a situation where the assessment, the, the external qualifications, are going to measure the curriculum, well, how can they measure 1,569 different curricula? You know, it, it's, I think we, we are in a situation where there is a, um, a, a question that hasn't been answered, even, even begun to be answered about assessment. And I think that, that that's really problematic for schools if we are to the same timeline, because we have, you know, how long is it, 18 months? And, and counting where, you know, and the key question is, you know, if, if accountability um, isn't clear very, very soon, then, you know, it, it does run the risk of undermining the entire curriculum. You know, is, is that something that you think is a possibility? Yeah, yeah. And, and funny enough, we had this conversation on part of an international uh, educational assessment network, IEAN which involves uh, countries from all across the world, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, 
all your, your so-called educational big hitters. And what has been fascinating to me as being part of that group is that everybody, every leading educational nation is grappling with the same issues. These aren't unique to Wales, these aren't uh, unique to the UK. How to, how to align assessment and curriculum is very, very challenging. But I mean, one of the big things, or one of the big takeaways I've taken from that group is this, uh, this idea of assessment literacy and, and capacity building in our understanding of assessment as a system. And that starts, as you say, at, at a classroom level with teachers, but also actually much beyond that. And one of my big concerns as we shift uh, to a more progressive, as we say, curriculum involving purposes and, and um, focus more, uh, more uh, significantly around the progress of individual learners in terms of assessment. My concern is the understanding of the wider community and uh, employers and parents and other key stakeholders in our system that have a significant say on these things. And, and, and you look at don't you, things like, like GCSEs, like A-levels, whilst society more generally considers them to be the gold standard, the target to which all pupils should aspire, everything else, progression steps, uh, vocational qualifications, higher qualifications, any other form of qualification is going to be seen as substandard or second rate. Uh, and that's not helpful. So I think we've got to build capacity and assessment literacy, not just at a school level, actually, but as, at a much broader societal level. So we, we just need to change the world. That's quite Also, look, thinking about what's happening across the border, and we've also got to make sure that mm. what qualifications or whatever our, our young young learners actually do achieve, oh, yeah. we can transport them, and we're not just within Wales, we're looking further afield as well. Yeah, I mean, because this is a conversation that we have had probably, many times. Yes, probably over the last couple of yeah. years, every time we look at assessment in curriculum for Wales, and it is we have come to the, the, the kind of understanding that you that that linking assessment in any way with accountability um yeah. you know you get the observer effect it changes what you do and i think you're absolutely right we have you know politics which needs to be accountable to the electorate but we've got schools which need to be accountable ultimately to the learners and those two things are just very very different and actually linking them in any way at all changes both so it's 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 i don't think it's a question that can be easily answered at all and it's we're always going to end it, up with a compromise it's a podcast in itself it is it? a podcast, it's a podcast in, itself. Think, in itself um is, is there anything else that we want to uh, discuss because i think assessment is one of those things that could go on and on forever just on that thing, i mean all, all yeah. i'd add to that is i think i think that what we could do and, and in the shorter term what the minister has done hasn't she is remove the statutory requirement to report uh, our key stage four data, our benchmarking, categorisation has been paused. I mean, if, if, if we are truly expecting teachers and schools to adapt and to buy into wholeheartedly curriculum reform and assessment reform and, and develop these new practices with the sort of cloud of GCSEs and A-levels in the background, then perhaps the only way of giving them the space and, and freedom and building that trust actually in the system to do that is to prolong that sort of suspension of those benchmarks. And, and look, there, there is a political, isn't there, a political imperative here to not do that, given that our standards in Wales have been well documented. Um, so I think there's a reluctance politically to suspend indefinitely 
performance benchmarks and accountability, but it might it might be, I don't have the answer to this myself, it might be the only short-term way we can do that if, if we are to truly get teachers to make that leap of faith. Well, and this is the thing, I think there is a, a misunderstanding that teachers themselves don't understand assessment. And I think mm -hmm. teachers themselves, because they are, assessment in its truest form, assessment for learning, you are mm -hmm. standing in front of a class, a, a pupil does something, you know instantly they haven't got it, yeah. And then you adapt your, your teaching as a result of that. And I think that there is this expectation that uh, teachers don't understand what they do. They do, but they are doing two things. So they are doing what their class need, but they're also fulfilling the accountability requirements. And with the best will in the world, we know that Welsh Government has suspended categorisation, which is absolutely the right thing to do. But how far that suspension has actually filtered down to all of the um, accountability processes within the system that's mm -hmm. yet to be uh, discovered because I think there are certain players within the system who are not yet um, adhering to that fully and it, it only takes one um, request for information for schools to still be stuck in that feeling of but we have to evidence it you know, this, this isn't about evidence, this is about um, supporting pupils to move on. And I think that there is a very much a cultural accountability. I mean, it goes right back to Blair and, you know, the accountability changes in, in England um, decades ago. So it, this, is, this is a cultural change and this will not happen with just one person taking one action. The whole system needs to take action. So there, there is a, a, uh, quite a way to go, I, we think, that before... Um, accountability and assessment is separate enough for teachers to have the confidence to move forward. And it's also remembering that there are many, many teachers teaching. That's all they've known throughout their career. So change the way that you do things and the way that, that you do things is a very, very difficult thing to do. Yes, and whilst categorisation is still very much a feature of our system, and whilst uh, inspection is still seen as you know, and I have this conversation with many uh, significant people in the inspectorate uh, on a regular basis. But while the inspect inspectorate is still seen as punitive, and yeah. while there's still a high stakes uh, culture and feel in our system, you know, it's going to be very difficult for schools to meaningfully uh, take that step forward and buy in wholeheartedly uh, to the reforms. So I think most schools, if not all schools, um, uh, adapt will adapt. Uh, and, and uh, are excited by the innovations afforded by Donaldson by the curriculum for Wales. Um, but there is very much this, uh, this uncertainty in the background that is preventing them from, from, from diving in head first. And until we, we clear that up, and I, I, I did listen to, as I said, I listened to the minister last week and she was suggesting that, that, that these other things aren't really an issue, but I think, I think they are. And I think if you ask most people in schools, they will quietly tell you that they are. And that's why they're reluctant and reticent about taking that next move, particularly at a secondary level when there's so much at stake. Yeah, and I think it, the, the operative word in your sense that they quietly will tell you that they are. There is an awful lot that is going on in uh, education in Wales that is, is bubbling beneath the surface and isn't clear unless you are part of that system and you, you're actually regularly in schools talking to teachers and have experienced it yourself in it's, some it's, way. It's also worth recognising that the huge variation across schools where we know there are schools that we work with that are right at the forefront of yeah. curriculum for Wales and mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're driving things forward. But we, equally, we've got other schools that, that we work with that, you know, they're still 
doing the the estin expectations and they're still doing the day-to-day and curriculum for Wales really hasn't got off the ground so that's a huge gulf that we've got with schools and it's how we can support all schools to be at yeah. the point where they need to be. How do, how do you think that we can manage that very um, different uh, approach that schools are taking and manage that variation across the system? Yeah it, it is a challenge isn't it and it, and it was a challenge pre-COVID in that you had the pioneer, the pioneer approach to, to curriculum development. I mean the, the pioneer model was in some respects a strength and I do think it was a strength in that it allowed uh, schools to drive the reform agenda and, and schools were at the forefront of, uh, of, of curriculum uh, design and development but also it was a, an inherent weakness in that it didn't engage everybody at every step of the way and, and we were promised weren't we that there'd be various sort of milestones and, and, and points at which other schools would become engaged and, and there would be collaboration and sharing but for whatever reason I don't think that's work quite as we'd anticipated. So I, I, I think what the, the, the picture you have portrayed is a very accurate one. There is huge variation uh, across Wales at the moment, both in understanding of the curriculum and in terms of uh, design and developing the curriculum. Uh, and there's a long way to go. So, so I think, you know, we, we come back, don't we? We come back to uh, collaboration, co-construction. And I think actually we, we, we're better off doing it on a regional basis and across across uh, clusters of schools and this also goes for keep having conversations with uh, teacher colleagues in schools about content one of my big issues with the curriculum and, I, and you know and I, and I am people think I'm some sort of doom and gloom merchant and some naysayer I'm not I, I do I do believe in the curriculum and I, and I think it has a lot to offer but what but what I worry about is this idea and you, and you spoke there about variation and it's variation not just in terms of uh, schools understanding and development but in terms of curriculum content itself uh, and the fact that the curriculum by very definition allows teachers the freedom and autonomy to teach what they see fit and how they see fit by their own learners and, and, and that in some respects that is a, a, a real strength and something that, uh, that, that we should applaud but it's, in, it's also got this slight nagging issue um, regarding uh, variation and in, inequity you know, we, we might end up in a situation whereby schools in, uh, in, in the north teach very different uh, topics and materials to those in the south. And you're particularly talking out here, aren't you, about, uh, about uh, English language, English, English lit, the humanities, uh, areas like that, that are very much open to discussion, to debate. And, and my argument would be that there are some things that every learner should know as a rule. And I, and I maintain that is my position and my, my sort of issue, um, but I don't see a way currently of that being either acknowledged or addressed. And, until, you know, and I argue the case for a, a sort of small agreed canon of things that we should all teach to be agreed by the profession itself. Um, but those calls have seemingly fallen on deaf ears, but then again, a lot of what I say falls well. on deaf ears. No, no, we wouldn't say that. I think that is definitely a conversation that's been being had uh, at some levels. And certainly we see conversations like that on Twitter. But one of the issues with this idea of a canon or the cultural literacy that everybody should uh, adhere to is it, it then becomes subjective. And it's, well, whose cultural literacy? Is it, you know, is it white privileges, cultural literacy? You know, Black Lives Matter, how important is that? So it is, it's who decides and uh, what decisions are made and I think that 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 
um, you're right, having a, a variation across um, many, many schools has the potential to do a disservice to some pupils because they may be getting uh, one person's idea of this cultural literacy that isn't the same as somebody else's and therefore has less value in, in a future set of eyes, whoever those future set of eyes are. It's very, very difficult. It's another of those changing the world kind of questions, isn't it? It is, and it's, it's that contested, you're right, it's contested space. Beneath the what matters, beneath the descriptions of learning, there is a contested space for schools to, to, to agree or disagree what should be uh, included and taught. And, and counter to your argument there, which is a very valid argument, it is the, is the notion that uh, black history uh, or the Holocaust or various other, you know, very, very significant world events might be lost from curricula if we don't have that conversation. So it is, it is, a, it is a balancing act. It is. But, but, but that is why I think we need to have that conversation. We can't just ignore it and pretend it'll go away or we might end up in a situation in 20 years that we're all very regretful of. Well, it's right back to um, the, our original discussion is the timeline right. You know, if we need to have this, these kinds of discussions, if we need to have them in a space where we can actually hear everybody's point of view and actually make decisions that are right for um, the whole country, because if we're talking about a... Uh, a canon or a you know a um, a accepted um, set of um, contents that everybody would actually adhere to then we need time and space to be able to do that and 18 months and get an assessment right in the same time that that seems a very tall order for for most schools but my, my, my quote of the day on curriculum reform is that of uh, former US president Woodrow Wilson who said that it was easier to move a cemetery than it was to change a curriculum. So <laughs> this is not easy stuff, you know? No, no, this isn't easy stuff. And on, I think, and then we've got COVID-19 on top. So yeah. let's make it even worse. <laughs> I know. And I think at that point, I think we've, we've raised enough world questions, you know, sort of how are we going to change the world questions to last probably a lifetime there. Uh, we'd like to say, well, thank you very much, um, Gareth, for your time this morning. It's been I mean, a fascinating conversation. Before we go, is there anything that you wanted to ask our listeners? I'm not so, not so much ask as, as I think thank. You know, I, I, I've sat with uh, very recently and across the, the lockdown uh, period, uh, a great number of teachers. And, you know, for all the negative press that we've read around uh, certain parts of society not wanting to go back and what have you. I mean, but the way in which teachers have rolled up their sleeves, gone back into the classroom and put themselves very much on the front line of this uh, has been remarkable, I think. And, and only last week I was talking to uh, one of our partners in, in teacher education um, who was at a, a partnership meeting. We were talking about the next generation of teachers and what we were doing to support and what have you. And he said, well, you know, we've had seven cases in the last three days. Yeah, he was at the meeting. He was all guns blazing and, and it was just like water off a duck's back for him. So, I mean, what, what teachers have done and continue to do uh, is nothing short of remarkable and we should be very grateful. They, they definitely are a profession of a vocation. They do it yeah. because they love it. And it is, it is quite amazing to see the hard work that has been put on and the fact that they are rising to every, each and every challenge as it's placed in front of them. And I think this is why we feel it's so important that actually we should say, is this a challenge too far before we end up with lots of teachers um, saying, well, I, I tried, 
but I'm afraid I couldn't and therefore I've got mental health issues. So, yeah. you know, we, we need to look after our profession so they can continue to do the, the sterling work that you've talked about. Okay, well, thank you very much again, Gareth, for spending your time with us. It has been fantastic to, um, to talk to you and to have such a detailed conversation about assessment and accountability. Let's hope we do at some point change the world. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you, Gareth. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss future episodes. And you can find us online at www.impact.wales. And you can also follow us on social media on Twitter, we're at Impact Wales, on Facebook and Instagram, search for Impact Wales, and on LinkedIn, search for Impact School Improvement. <laughs>